Hello, hello, hello. This is Real Talks, where we talk about movies and all things movies. I am Elisa Ivers, and this is my co-host, David. Hello. And we are here to discuss today one of my favorite writers and directors of the moment, Jordan Peele, because his new movie is coming out. But first, David has some uh, pressing movie news, and I'd like to know what it is. So... I'm sure you know of the Justice League, right? The movie, The Justice League? Oh, yeah. It was like, it could have been so much better. <laughs> okay. Well, Rolling Stone just did a huge expose. And they found out that essentially 13%, if I, if I read this correctly, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but 13%, yeah, 13% of all of the accounts that were on social media were bots. <laughs> so wait, like, wait, how long ago did Justice League come out? It was 2017. So they're saying that these reviews were bought, basically. Well, no. Essentially, what ended up happening was, okay, I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's a big article, but he, this is the synopsis. So in spring of 2020, which was a couple of years ago, he asked the producers, Jeff Johns, who was actually on Wonder Woman, and John Berg to be removed from the credits because he, was, he thought he was dragging his feet because he wanted to get it released. And so he went to the, finally goes to an executive from post-production and he threatens both of them. And this is the actual quote. Jeff and John are dragging their feet on the names, taking their names out of my cut. So assume, you know, now I'm going to destroy them on social media. This is what Zack Snyder said. That was a quote. Anyways, it goes on to say that there was a lot of social, toxic social media out there. Fans attacking, boycotting. There was even death threats put out to some of these people. And yeah. Okay. So the head of security, or one of the security actually had to get involved. So... It got that bad. So at least 20 people that were associated with this basically mm -hmm. said that Snyder was trying to manipulate this whole thing from the get-go. So this was his whole doing. So there were actually hashtags in 2019 basically saying that, you know, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. So it goes on. And in middle of last year, three months before that, it finally gets greenlit and everything else. There's an Instagram account showing a pretty gruesome image of the decapitated heads of Jeff Johns, the producer that I was talking about, DC Films president Walter Hamada, and Warner Brothers Pictures chairman Toby Eberick. And so that went around social media. And because this was his... So the fandom was basically pushing this around. This cost Warner Brothers $100 million to put this whole thing together. And the whole movie? Get, no, not the movie. The, I know, the actual cut that oh. he wanted. So they gave him a hundred. So there was actually shooting in his backyard and whatever else. And it didn't stop there. So on the 18th of March, okay, the rap, who, which is another reputable source, reported in May that in this year's Oscars, Mm -hmm. He may have won a couple of like fan favorite Oscars and they were bots. So this isn't the first time. 
So it goes on to say when they in 2017 when Snyder first got his picture done that he actually showed it to the executives and they said it's too long and it was quote a disaster and a full on failure. I didn't like it. It was the okay. studio that so remember when Josh Whedon came on board? Yes. Okay, so that's when they said, look, maybe we need to go get this guy because he did this well with the Avengers. Yeah. So they bring him on. Unfortunately, what ended up happening with his daughter, that was, you know, so he actually then removed himself from the whole picture. But nonetheless, there were allegations from one of the actors, Fisher, Jeff Fisher, not Jeff Fisher, Ray Fisher, and some others that Josh Whedon was abusive on set. Oh. So, <laughs> anyways, it goes on to say to. summation. Yeah, no, kind of, can you. No, no it, it basically, the whole thing was a disaster. Yeah. The whole thing was a disaster from the get-go. So, basically, if you look on Rotten Tomatoes today, Justice League holds a 39% with 408 reviews. And the audience rating is 68%. Hmm. The Snyder Cut, okay, holds a 71% with 305 reviews and a 94% audience rating. Now, mind you, the audience rating is, you know, of course, that was done on HBO Max and it was released one episode per week. But can you believe that? Like, I mean, I know there's some egotistical people in Hollywood, but damn, really? Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of nothing surprises me at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it's unfortunate, but it's like nothing. I'm not like, you know, gobsmacked about this. It's just no. more like, of course. But of course, not only that, but it was not a good movie. Like, it just could have been so much better. DC has been limping. And honestly, it's funny because the only DC-based movies that have done well in the past few years are not even in the same like universe they're you know like just joker or whatever since that takes place in dc obviously like in gotham and then the other one is the batman which also doesn't really exist in the same world as like aquaman and all the other well, ones wonder like woman that. made a billion dollars well no wonder woman for sure but lately i said right oh no okay no you're, you're correct yes lately yeah. those are the only ones wonder woman is like the other one but it's the only other one really so well and, and that's the other thing like donna justice was was supposed to be a billion dollar film i know and it, no it was dumb also ezra Moeller stuff is like they have that now like <laughs> don't even get me going on that world. Yeah, like, you yeah. see, just can't catch a break. And, like, it's just terrible. So, anyways. But, all right. Yeah, no, well, that that's, was, that's some juicy news you got there. I mean, that just, you know, you think you've seen it all with with studios and Hollywood and, and people. and But, that you know, that just goes to show you that even if the people get what they want, they don't stop. Yeah. You give them an inch, they take a mile. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And I don't understand. It's like you can't, you know, I mean, obviously I say it all the time, film is subjective, but you can't please everybody. But it's like, even when you do try to please them, there's always that fringe out there, for lack of a better word, that, and this is how things get so spun out of control. Yeah, 100%. 
Well, when there aren't checks and balances, people are capable of all kinds of shit, you know? There has to be checks and balances. Okay, so my question is, did you watch the movie Us? No. And I, I haven't, I haven't, I have so much stuff to do. I, I know I've got to sit down and watch Get Out, and I've got to watch Us. Now, how are you going to do a podcast about Jordan Peele movies when you have not even seen one of them? No, and, and this is so. This is actually beneficial, believe it or not. All right. This is this is actually a benefit because I'm going to be going in on Thursday completely blind. That is. I mean, true. I've seen that. I've seen the trailers. Yeah, zero expectation though, and that's the best way to do it. So, anyways. The subject matter today, if you guys haven't picked up already, is about Jordan Peele. His new film, Nope, is being released this Friday. And I would argue to say he's probably one of the hottest filmmakers right now. Oh, yeah. how you make movies. But, yeah. So, so you've seen both? Yeah. Uh, many, many times. I would venture to say, like, it's Jordan Peele is the best at cerebral horror besides you know like where it's I say cerebral horror in the sense that like it's more about the writing and the storytelling and much less about like the visual scariness like he can make visual scariness also but for instance of like get out there was nothing like disturbing going on so much as there were like disturbing subject matters and like mystery that you just don't understand but it's kind of like to me he's He's a, he reminds me a lot of M. Night Shyamalan, like, because they're both really good storytellers. Like they have this story and they're going to tell it to you and it's creepy and you're just going to be along for the ride. And so it's just like, I love that. I love not obvious horror. I don't like anything that I feel like I can figure it out immediately. As a matter of fact, science just turned 20 this year. And I think it was. That was one of the best ones he ever did. I loved signs. Yeah. So that's that turned 20. And then, of course, he's also known, I think, for uh, The Sixth Sense. Yeah, The Sixth Sense was my first. Unfortunately, I kid you not, I walked into the living room. Spoiler alert, everybody. Right when Bruce Willis realizes he's dead. So the whole thing had been ruined from the very beginning. So I never got to have that little twist, unfortunately. Uh, oh, you want to hear another one? Is when I walked in the living room at the point in Unbreakable when they were like Mr. Glass. And like literally I keep on spoiling everything for me. I don't know. But I loved the village, by the way. Loved the village. The village was great. Bryce Dallas Howard is obviously one of his favorite people because he keeps using her and stuff. Anyways, back to Jordan Peele. So, yeah, Jordan is one of those filmmakers that's he's only in his early 40s. Yeah, he has so much to do. Yeah. So he was he's known for I didn't realize this. So I guess and you would know more than me. He actually did a, a series on Comedy Central. Oh, uh, you mean Key and Peele? Yep. Yeah, so I guess, so he got his big break on Mad TV in 2003. Yep. And then he and King Michael Keel actually went to go do the, the sketch series on uh, Comedy Central. And then he was in the first season of Fargo. I forgot about that. I don't even think I remember he was in that. He was in it? He started? 
were not started to it? They appeared together. Those two oh. appeared together. What? Anyways, I'm going to have to rewatch Fargo anyways. I'm behind. But okay. Which I feel like most people, even if you don't think you know that you've seen Key and Peele, you've most likely seen something from Key and Peele. Like there are, there's a couple very famous sketches that almost everybody knows about. Even if you've never seen the show, you know. So it's like, it's that kind of writing where it can float around forever for years, you know, and still be like funny and relevant. I think that that shows like you have timeless comedy. Yeah. So he's actually done voiceover too. Oh, right. Yeah. He does for Big Mouth. He does voiceover. Yeah, he, he did Storks, Captain okay. Underpants. Nice. And he actually was in Toy Story 4. I do remember that. And so was Keegan-Michael Key. He was also. Yeah. So, I mean, they seem to be going, you know, they seem to be a very good pair together. Yes. So, of course, in 2017, he does his directorial debut, Get Out. So let me ask you this then. Would you say it's more of a psychological movie? Like it messes with your mind? I would say... It is psychological horror or psycho suspense. It's honestly a little bit. He does a couple things that I feel like make it stay in the horror genre and is like less of, let's say, Gone Girl, which is clearly just a thriller. Like that's not horror in any way. It's very thrilly. I think that this is horror and I think that Us is for sure horror. So Us was even more obviously a horror film than it was just a psychological movie. But I re- I just remember hearing like somewhere that Jordan Peele was going to make a horror film and me being like, what? Like, I assumed he would go the way of like Judd Apatow or like, you know, make comedies, basically make like full length feature comedies. And instead he did this completely other thing and it just like blew everyone's mind. And I think that that's like one of the coolest, best, like, success stories of changing something about your career when it's really hard to, when you're known for something like comedy, it's so hard to shift gears and have people accept it. So, yeah. Yeah. So it actually, it did really well at the box office. It made $175 million here. Yeah. And it made $252 million worldwide. I mean, that's just astounding for your directorial debut. Absolutely. Not only that, it was also an a somewhat not so subtle social commentary. Like there were things about it that were very obviously a commentary on society. And yet it still did numbers, which again means you're a good storyteller because you're not shoving anything down anyone's throat. You're learning about something and you don't know it. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So actually looking at this other one, us, this made right around like literally the same amount of money here in the States. His movies are right on par with each other. I mean, Get Out made $252 million worldwide. Us has made 256 worldwide. This is how, and I always say this though, this is how you're supposed to make movies. So Get Out was made only on a $5 million budget. So that tells you something that if you're able to make a movie for $5 million yeah. and have it be a critical success. You know, the Black Phone, what I saw a couple weeks ago, I had never seen a Blumhouse production before. And I had heard great things. I love Blumhouse, yeah. They do great and stuff. And I was amazed 
so it kind of reminded me of Saw in the simple respect that it was done, the majority was done in one room. Yes. And so when I got home and I looked at it, I went, what? This was only made on an $18 million budget? I was astounded. So you can make movies, good movies. Yeah. That are cheap. You can, well, and I mean, like, isn't, that's always the case, though. There's some of the best movies are made cheap. And I feel like it's because you have to rely on the writing. You have, which is why a few past episodes we've talked about now that he has two blockbuster hit run, he has a bigger budget every time. And clearly, Nope is going to be one of the highest budgets he's ever had. So will he still deliver a story, like a good story, good writing, good humor, while also having obviously a lot more visual effect and special stuff that he can add to it to enhance it? Will this maybe even be the best movie he's made because of it? Or will it fall short of the other two? You know, like, so interesting. Yeah. Us was all, it was just, I'm just looking at this now. Us is only made on a $20 million budget. <laughs> That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And it made $71 million opening weekend. Right. I mean, it's it's all about the big budget and the big take-home opening weekend. Yeah. And, you know, so it's one of those things where as far as the bigger budget, now let me ask you a question. Do you think that since Get Out was such a hit, do you think now that in Us was – still acclaimed. Do you think now he's on a, it's going to be harder for him to make movies because the expectation is so high? Or would you rather climb up the mountain, so to speak, where the first one was okay, the second one was, you basically progressively get better. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, like you said, Us was acclaimed. I loved Us. I loved it differently than Get Out. But Get Out is probably notably his best movie yet. So I think he's on a good trajectory because really, I feel like if anyone just keeps hitting it out of the park over and over, yeah, there's just going to be a huge bomb at some point because you just can't necessarily like crank out gold every time. However, Jordan Peele is also more familiar with sketch comedy and really the entire like basis of that job is that you're going to throw all the ideas out there and some are going to hit and some aren't. So I bet he's really good at not having the pressure get to him. And I bet he's good at being like, hey, I really liked this story. So I figured I'd make it, you know, as opposed to like trying to just churn out hits. I feel like he's probably more interested in just putting out stuff he's good at and that he loves because that's what he did with Get Out and it turned out great. It's kind of like M. Night also because M. Night has arguably more bombs than he's ever had hits by far. However, he's still doing it and he's still like doing the stories he wants to tell. And I think that that means a lot more to a lot of directors. And I bet a lot of directors wish that they just did that instead of putting hit after hit after hit after hit, you know? Yeah. This was only made. Nope. Was only made on a $40 million budget. Is that pretty low? Yes. That's awesome. Well, let's think about this. It's essentially doubled. So Get Out was made on five. Us was made on, what did I say Us was made on? Like a 10 or an $18 million budget? Yeah, something like and that. And now, yeah. And this is made on a $40 million budget. 
Well, and not only was it a $5 million budget, which is insane, but it also got an Oscar nod. Like, yeah, I love that. an Oscar. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. And it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, that's amazing. That just goes to show you, you know, you don't need yeah. to have a huge budget to make good movies. Yeah. I mean, it's just, he is, and, and people forget this, he actually did the, a rendition of the Twilight Zone on oh, CBS All Access. Oh, it was awful, so I didn't even yes. check it out. That's yeah. too bad. See, another thing that just didn't hit the wall, you know? It's just, it's trial and error. Yeah, but I think that there's something to be said, too, about doing television, and then there's something to be said. Because don't forget, you've already, that's Ron Sterling's series is classic. Yes. I mean, absolutely classic. Anything you try to do to remake it, it's going to be difficult. And so when you do that, it's one of those things where if you're good at what you do, and that's making movies, then just stick to that. I mean, and I look, I understand he wanted to, to pan out and do other things. But I think that for what it's worth, you know, and by the way, this is only his third feature film. I know. Let's that's, not forget that. Wait, didn't he have a hand in Candyman? I thought he did Candyman for some reason. Who did that? He might have been a producer on it. That was probably, that must have been it. Anyways, okay. So this is only a feature film. I agree with you that there's something to be said about going from short form to long form. In fact, I would say it's probably even easier going from long form film to series. Because then it's like, oh, we're just telling, I get to tell a longer story in pieces. Where I feel like going from sketch comedy to feature film is an insane jump. He was, you are correct, by the way. He was a producer on Candyman. Oh, okay. He didn't direct it. So, yeah, no, he he was a producer. He didn't direct it. But that just goes to show you, too, that he could, you know, lending your, your vision, part of your vision at least, to a movie and then actually being behind the wheel and, you know, in the director's chair and having that final decision, there's, that's a huge difference. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, so he did 20 of the Twilight Zone when I was just discussing. He was an EP or an executive producer. He only did 20 episodes. But once again, I think people are always going to go back and look at the, the black and white version. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, that's what people remember. They, you know, and, and I would say this too, the fact that it was on CBS All, All Access and it was only on streaming, it was only on mainstream, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So unless you, if you didn't have it, you didn't have CBS All Access, you were out of luck. So I think that kind of hurt him in that regard too. But nonetheless, I mean, I, you know, for every failure, you're going to have a success. So I'm sure he learned from that and then, you know, he moved on from it. So he's got, so he's got several other things, you know, but this is going to be an interesting movie. Like I said, yeah, he, I'm going in completely blind. And so I'm really curious to see how this is going to be. So he actually attended a little bit about him. He attended Sarah Lawrence College's uh, the class of 2001, and this is what you were talking about, the 
social commentary. Mm-hmm. His mother is white and his father is black. So I think what he wanted to do was make a film in Get Out that reflected not only his upbringing, but the social environment of today. And so obviously it was well received and everything else. So, and, you know, as we discussed, he went on to do uh, other things. He actually won the, the uh, screenplay. Best screen, original screenplay. Yeah. And he was nominated for best director at the Academy Awards. I know. Obviously, so, so cool. I loved it. Now, do you, is this a genre that you appreciate? Is this something that you like? Because you did see Black Box. Black, the, the Black Phone. The Black Phone? Yeah. But that's a different genre. So it's like, do you appreciate this kind of thing where it's a little bit more of a character study almost, I think? I love psychological films. Me too. I think that, you know, if you're able to do it well, because it's, look, it's one thing to, you can always have jump scares, right? So what I mean by that is, you know, you have somebody looking in a mirror and there's somebody behind them. Yeah. And they go back and look. And then the next thing they're like, ah, that's yeah. one thing. I like twists. We need twists is what we need. Yeah. But when you can mess with a person's mind and go, okay, you know, that in itself And that's the thing about the black phone. Like that was all about the mind. Like he kept getting these phone calls from these dead kids. Mm -hmm. And it was like, wow, okay, where are they going to go with this? And they're all showing him how to escape. Look, one of the best psychological, I mean, there have been a lot of psychological, I mean, all you got to do is take a look at a movie like Psycho. Yeah. Literally Stephen King does it some of the best. I mean, Hitchcock would, Hitchcock, what he did, Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, sorry. I don't know why I thought The Shining in my head. It like went into my ear as Psycho and came out as The Shining. Anyways, yeah. Hitchcock, Hitchcock was one of my favorite directors. Like, well, still is, but growing up, I watched all the Hitchcock films. I loved. Yeah, I them. mean, he was probably the best director as far as I mean. Whether it was The Birds, whether it was Rear Window, whether it was Vertigo. I mean, he's most known for Psycho. And it's like, okay. And there's actually a really cool movie out there with, it's called Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. It has Anthony Hopkins. Okay. And Helen Mirror. I didn't know if you were familiar. It was all, that movie in itself is all about the making of Psycho. I love that. That's good. And that was just great. One of the best psychological villains in all of cinema has to be Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Yes. And anybody who is, I'm obsessed with the movie and I don't know, I mean, I mean, obsessed with Silence of the Lambs. It's one of my top five most favorite films of all time. Yes. And knowing the backstory of all of it, and I couldn't even say, I mean, I've seen the movie probably the better part of 80 or 90 times, and it doesn't matter where it is. It's that good. It's the last movie to win the big five. I mean, it's been 40 some odd years, but it just goes to show you what he did back in 92 is unbelievably, like, scary. I know. Right. Right. It's still, it still is. I think that good horror in storytelling, like I said, if there's – Hitchcock was a storyteller, obviously. Like, Silence of the Lambs, it was a story. It was a character study. I love it where it's like you, ha- you care about the people. Like, you actually give a shit going on and want to know more about them. And then you find out, oh, their background, blah, blah, blah. 
And I just feel like this genre has had some of the greatest directors in it of all time, like Hitchcock. And Jordan Peele is going to totally be considered one of them, I think. And I'm, I'm so excited. I want to watch it. When are you going to see it? Probably Thursday. We'll see, though. I mean, I, as a matter of fact, I think that's, I don't think they're going to have an earlier screening than that. I think it's probably going to be Thursday. So, yeah, it's probably going to be, yeah, so there's a four o'clock on Thursday. I will probably be going to see that one. Yes. So it'll be, it'll be Thursday. I go to see that. So that's going to be interesting. Definitely want to do a spoiler. I'm going to do a spoiler cast for that because that's, it's, this is, I would suggest to you, this is besides Bullet Train, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. Who, by the way, we're going to be doing a Brad Pitt uh, podcast all about Brad Pitt. Yep. We love it. So this would arguably be like the last major movie of the year for the summer. This might be it. This the last summer blockbuster, huh? Well, wait, Bullet Train is coming out though. Yeah, but Bullet Train, I wouldn't necessarily call it a blockbuster. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because honestly, the ones that we've been covering have been you, you, like continuations of stories, if you think about it, right? So the anticipation is higher. But yeah, I agree. Bullet Train isn't going to count. So, I mean, that's more of a, which actually leads me to getting off topic for a moment, which actually leads me to the numbers of this last week. So Thor took a huge, I mean, obviously, let's face it, it did 140 or $150 million its opening weekend. I mean, not as big as Doctor Strange and not as big as the Batman and all that, but it took a serious, serious dive. It plunged down 68% from last week. It made, look, it made $46.6 million. And it's made 233, almost 234 here in the States. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it wasn't that good. I mean, and by the way, if you want to go back and listen to our spoiler cast of Thor Love and Thunder, you can listen to all of our thoughts on it. But, you know, that just shows you. I think Marvel, I was reading an article today about, you know, why Marvel is so good and everything else. I think the biggest thing that they do, besides saturating the market, is they find pockets in the calendar where they say, okay, there's not going to be any good movies coming out for a month or six weeks. We're going to plug it there. And that's what they do. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is they, well, all you're going to do is look at Doctor Strange. They own May. They've been owning May for 15 years, ever since the Avengers came out. And so, but that movie, Thor Love and Thunder, it took a hit, but it's still making a lot of money. Because you look at what, is out. I yeah. mean, Minions, Minions made 26, you know, there was a $100 million movie two weeks ago. It made $26 million. Where the Craw- Crawdads Sing was based on a book, $17 million. And I'm going to keep bringing it up again. The, the fourth highest grossing film of the weekend was Top Gun. Yeah, I know. It just won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Just like Tom Cruise. Now... <laughs> What are the odds the Scientology churches are seeing it multiple times? <laughs> you know, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, that's because it's not. See, the thing is, it's not. That's one of those religions, and I'm not going to get into religion here. But it's one of those things where it's not like it's plastered on every somebody's forehead. Oh, I'm a Scientologist. Oh, everyone knows that Tom is like. No, oh no, I know that. I'm just saying that your average person. 
So maybe, I mean, that only actually that only took a 21% hit. $618 million. Elvis was at number five. That made $8 million. The black phone, which I was just referencing, made 5.3. That thing just keeps striking along. That that's made $72 million on an $18 million budget. Lightyear dropped all the way to 10th at one. 1.4 million but it's just one of those things where getting back to thor they seem to have the they know what pockets to put their movies in oh yeah i mean isn't it a just it's down to a science at this point i feel like yeah everybody. and also this is what i want to know though because i never asked this question or thought about it but can't only a certain amount of movies be out at once like do you get to choose exactly when or is it like oh sorry all the slots have been taken like how does that work or can there be like what if there were 10 movies out at the same time you know like okay so how it works is let's say you have 15 theaters yeah okay and so your job and by the way if you want to go back and listen to jeff aiken he'll talk he talks about how the movie business works in that respect. Anyways, so getting back to your point, so let's say you have a theater. Okay, you have 15 theaters. Now, one of them's IMAX. You, you have 14 2D theaters, one IMAX theater. So I have a movie, you know, Dave's Dilemma. Okay, so we're going to, Dave's Dilemma, I have a release date for Dave's Dilemma. And this is rock solid promotion because don't forget too, the studio has to send you the theater all of the promotional stuff. So every time you go to the theater and you see these these standees mm-hmm. that essentially the the props. Yeah. Whether it's Wakanda Forever or Elvis or what the studio sends that. Mm-hmm. So they'll set them up in the theater so that you see them when you go in. Okay. So then I have Dave's dilemma, you want it in your theater. Okay. So then there's a deal made between the studio and the theater to say, okay. You can have this movie, okay, and you can run it in as many theaters as you want. So if you want to run it in six theaters, you can run it in six theaters. If you want to run it in eight theaters, you can do that. But don't forget, you still have A, B, C, and D. And these are other movies that you're trying to make movie, trying to make money on, like mm-hmm. a Top Gun, like a Jurassic Park, like a Lightyear. So... It's a fine line and balance between what, how many theaters you want to run Dave's Dilemma in and how many movies or how many theaters you want to run all these other movies in. Because what it ends up happening is you have to make, obviously, as much money as possible. Now, here's the kicker. Let's say that in the contract, I get 65% or 66% of every ticket sold. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's sixteen dollars for an adult ticket. So that means of sixteen dollars, I get sixty-six percent of it. I get two thirds. Now you're left with I don't know if the math off the top of my head, like four dollars, four and fifty. Okay. So with that four fifty, that is you have to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. You have to pay your employees. You have to maintain insurance on the place. You have to pay the rent. You have to do all these other things to make sure that it works. So what ends up happening is that's why when you go and you're paying $7 for a box of popcorn, you go, or $6 for a drink, that's you go, why is everything? money, right? Like that's... That's how they make their money. Yeah. And that's why, you know, as Jeff put it, 
what he would do back in this is in the back in the olden days is 20 years ago. <laughs> so he, what he would do is when people were out waiting to get their tickets in line, he would have the, his employees pop up some popcorn and bring out samples because, you know, put a little extra salt on it. So when they go inside, can I get a, uh, an extra drink with that? You know, so yeah, bring, you that's know, a money. really good idea. That's sneaky. I like that. So back to your question though. So you have to maintain. So when these movies come out, no way, Spider-Man, no way home. Yep. Thor, love and thunder doctors, right? These are huge for the theaters. Yeah. Huge. Because they're able to make money. Obviously, the majority is going back to Disney or whoever it is. But you, the studio owner, are making a lot of money. And it's a good way that, you know, you're able to, you know, incentivize. You say, listen, if you hit these, this, you know, numbers, all these numbers, we'll show you this movie before anybody else. And, of course, they go and, you know, they sell everything through the roof. Yeah. So that's the long answer to your question. But yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, it's, it, it's fascinating, especially since I feel like during COVID theaters were in trouble, you know, for obvious reasons. And so in theaters are really near and dear to my heart. I still love going to the theater and I'm wondering if it might die with my generation, unfortunately, but I hope it doesn't. And I think it's important that people understand that if they want theaters to stay around forever, they need to go to the movies. Like that's how that no, works. I don't. Theaters aren't going away. I don't think theaters are going to be dying off. And the reason being is this. Number one, it's a completely different experience. It is. I mean, I remember, I still remember being 2019, being there opening night for Avengers Endgame. And that theater exploding. Mm-hmm. And you can't get that in any other environment. It's, you're all in it together. You know, everyone's in it together. So if it's especially like you said, I mean, you know, people have been going to the movies for sequels for I don't know how long. I, I don't know what the first one like was, but there was like Planet of the Apes. There's like tons of stuff before that. But people, you know, like at Spider-Man No Way Home, like we're hollering and clapping every time like the Peter Parkers came through. And it's just like something that you don't experience if you're at your house, like you said. So I agree. I don't think it's. I don't think they're going anywhere, but... Well, you, you know what bothers me? What bothers me the most is people will say, oh, well, superhero movies saved, you know, because everybody's getting tired of superhero movies. Yeah. Let's get one thing straight right now. Those movies save the movie industry. It's true. Let's not... Let's call a spade a spade. Yeah, it's true. Because without a movie like Spider-Man No Way Home... That is the third highest grossing domestic film of all time. We're not talking about a Doctor Strange multiverse of madness. We're not talking about the Batman, even though that had gotten delayed a couple of years. We're not talking about Thor, Love and Thunder. We're not talking about these movies. That one single genre changed and saved the movie industry. Now, did the Reddick you know, thing have something to do with that for AMC? Yeah, they had a stroke of luck what happened a couple of years ago. But they're, you know, right back in it now. And you got to also understand, too, that these movie theater memberships, these Regal passes and these AMC yeah. list passes, it's completely changed the game. Yeah, totally. I love because it. Because I can go to the movies anytime I want 
to see any movie I want. Yeah, I do if I pay a little extra for IMAX or yeah, sure. But I would have spent ninety dollars if I didn't have a, a regal. I would have spent ninety dollars just in admission costs. Oh I'm yeah, twenty four dollars. That's it. And That's amazing. I need to do that. Ten percent off all my concessions. That's amazing. So there's a lot of things that you know happen with those particular things. No, it just so the movie theaters are, are are fine now. Spielberg once said, and he was right, that movie theaters are getting the prices are getting out of control, and he's right about that. I mean, the average ticket is still thirteen dollars. That's okay, so but you know, and you know, you're going to see a lot more people buy these passes because they can get as many, they can go to as many movies as they want. Mm-hmm. So you know, movie theaters are going to be fine. That's good. I th- so I mean, as long as these movies keep getting made, they'll be fine. Oh, for sure. I won't see it in my lifetime anyway, so that's all I care about. What do you have coming up for us, though? All right, so a couple programming notes. Number one, Mom Mondays will be starting in a couple of weeks. We're going to be doing The Departed first, and we're going to be doing Goodfellas. I actually put out a tweet to you guys, an Instagram post, because I wanted to see what would be the best way to do this particular subscription. Because so there's something coming out at the end of August that I think we're going to talk about. So, but that's going to be a 10 week thing. So, it's the new Game of Thrones. It's called House of Dragon. So, I'm excited about that. I'm super Yeah. Scared. So, we'll, we'll be talking, we'll be doing spoiler casts for every single episode. So, that's going to run all the way until the end of October. What we're going to do is we're actually going to push back Rewatch Wednesdays. And or what we'll do is, since it is $7, if you want to go to our Patreon and do that, we will put Rewatch Wednesdays on the Rewatch Wednesday podcast on Patreon for $7. So if you subscribe to Patreon for $7 a month, you'll get the shout out, you'll get the haiku, and you will get the Rewatch Wednesday podcast. Yes. So as far as Bomb Mondays, that's going to be on Apple Podcasts. And that's going to be on Anchor. So I think that's where we're going to put those. The As we were talking about earlier, Brad Pitt podcast will be coming up in a couple of weeks. Yep. And then, yeah, I mean, so I have an interview with a couple of people I'm trying to put together. So, yeah, lots of stuff. Excellent. No, I'm super excited to watch Nope. And I think I'm going to try to watch it this weekend, like really soon. I don't want anybody to spoil anything. So I got to like get there and watch it real quick. I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to spoil anything for you. As long as you're there, you know. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. First weekend. All right. Well. Or just stay off social media. (laughs) Right. Which is way harder. But okay. Well, I'm super excited and we will be getting that movie news to you next time you hear from us and yeah that's good thanks for listening to real talks i'm elisa ivers and i'm david Steele.